Welcome to the Tarleton BSM Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Megan Trotter. Megan asked me to teach on the balance between work and rest. Uh, the term rest might sound very foreign to you at this point of the semester because, man, let's face it, like, school is exhausting, especially when May is approaching, graduation is approaching, and all that different stuff. Um, so I, I, would, I would be shocked if someone in here felt 100% at their best capacity. Um, but work is something that's near and dear to my heart. I had my first job when I was 13. I worked on a vegetable farm, and so I got paid $5 an hour. And I remember my first paycheck. I could roll up, he's like, here's your paycheck. It was $80 in cash, like that's a big deal. I'm like, dang, I am loaded. I'm like making it rain in our house. My parents are like, what's this about? Uh, I was saving up for a motorcycle, but I never did get there until I bought one later when I was 18. But uh, man, I love work and since then I've had my own job. Um, so I know when you hear work, there are several different things that come to mind and we may have several different perspectives or views on work. Um, but I would contend there are several different reasons why people overwork or basically work themselves to death. Um, one is the American dream. And so it's this, this grind till you die. Like if you want it, go get it. Make it happen. And that is the culture and that is the air that we breathe. And I would contend um, you probably don't even know you're steeped in that, but that is everywhere you look. And there are certain people that will trade everything to get to the top. Like, I want a big house, a nice car, white picket fence, 2.5 children, a great, you know, job, uh, a great 401k and millions in the bank. And so people will work themselves to death to get there. And I know you're all in college, you've not quite entered the workforce, but maybe you got your degree so you could achieve the American dream. I don't know. And don't get me wrong, it's not bad to have those things. But here's what I will tell you. When you're on your deathbed and mildly morbid, but that's okay. Um, you are not going to ask for your transcript. Like you're not going to look at your straight A's and your 4.0 and your college degree. You're not going to ask for your keys to your house, to your car. You're not going to ask for your bank statement. You're going to ask for your family. You're going to ask for relationships. And so this idea of the American dream, work till you die or work till you kill up your relationships is bankrupt. And so Beware as you enter into that next stage of life. Like, you can be rich and it's good, and if you are, you can be my support partner. A shameless plug. Um, but watch out for that. And I think the other reason why we tend to overwork is to avoid. Uh, so if I busy myself with class, with studying, with whatever job I have, I really don't have to face my feelings because I'm, I'm distracted. A really great, great way to stop feeling so guilty is to stay really, really busy. Or a great way to deal with that broken heart is to stay really, really busy. Or maybe you avoid your grades by working really hard at your job. Or maybe you work really hard at your job to avoid your grades. And so I feel like maybe work can become the sort of medication that we take. I will, I will numb this pain that I have or these feelings that I have by drowning it out with work. Let me tell you guys, I've been there. Like, I'm speaking from experience and so I know that. Um, the next thing, and I think this will hit everyone, uh, work to please. So I bet when that thing popped up on the screen and you saw that phrase, you're like, oh, geez, I got to get out of here. Like some people have the inability to say no. 
man, that I had that in college. There, there have been times in my life where I, I did balance work and rest. College was not one of them. I had a really, really demanding job. I was really obsessed with my grade point average, and so I unnecessarily studied. I was really involved in the BSM, my church life. I'm trying to cult this relationship with Jordan. Uh, so I had no ability to rest because I could not say no. And because this type of achiever in me wanted to reach the top, kind of a blend of the American dream. The other thing I would say um, is we really just work really, really hard because it was modeled for us. Like maybe mom worked three jobs or dad was not home a whole lot because he was at work and that's what we knew because that's what we saw. And so maybe you have this crazy, crazy work ethic to get it done for no reason other than that's what was shown to you. And work ethic is a good and godly thing. But if it is not tamed, it will ruin you. It's been the ruin of many people. It's ruin of Solomon from the Bible. If you read Ecclesiastes, he blew his life chasing pursuits. And one of those pursuits was this success in work. Um, and this is not on the screen, but I think the next point we tend to stay real, real busy is because that's just the situation we're in. Okay, so here's an example. Um, I was a communication major. It did not require math, and it did not require really, really, really intensive stuff like, like maybe nursing does or engineering. And so my speech class was a straight blow off. Like I did absolutely nothing and got an A. So my workload was incredibly small by circumstance. But if you're over here and you're an engineer and you're taking Cal 3, like your workload, significant, and you got to stay on top of it. And so some of us may be really, really busy because that's the circumstance we're in, and that is okay, and there's not much you can do about that. Um, so these are some of the reasons why we tend to overwork or we, we pursue work to avoid because we can't say no, because we want to achieve, we're really busy, or that's just what we saw growing up. Um, so... These are some of the things that we see, but it would be really, really helpful to look at what God says about work. Because at the end of the day, I can ramble and say, well, this is my experience, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't matter if it doesn't line up with what God says. Um, so let us go back to the very beginning, Genesis 2, if you will flip there. Um, as you're turning there, I want to give you the context. This is the beginning of time. This is the first six days of creation. And so you get the first verse, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And that is the preamble for one and two. So what you see is God begins to speak, let there be light. And there was light. So he is producing, he is, he is growing and cultivating the earth. And then it says, it was good and he rested. The second day comes around, he speaks, it was good. And then he stopped. The third day he speaks, it was good. And it goes on and on and on until um, the sixth day, God creates man. And that day was particularly different. God did not speak man. God wove man out of the dirt and out of the dust and breathed the nostrils into the breath of life. So that is where we're jumping in. Uh, chapter 2, verses, I don't want to screw this up, verses two, uh, 15 through 20. And this is God's conversation with Adam. One of the first things he says to him. So it's a pretty big deal. First impressions are big. And here's what he says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day of it you eat, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call him. 
whatever its name was, that was the name that he gave it or whatever Adam decided to call it. So I will say this before I unpack that. There's several things mentioned in there. One, the tree of good and evil. Uh, two, it is not good for man to be alone. That's kind of a, he's leading into this idea of marriage. Those are really, really, really important, but I'm not going to talk about them. One, for the sake of time, and two, for the sake of topic. It's not our topic. So I don't want to glance over it and pretend like it's not there, but I'm not going to talk about it at this time. If you want to talk about it later, come find me, and we can talk through those different things. But you see here, God makes man, and he says, your job is to fill the earth and subdue it. Make make the rest of the planet look like the Garden of Eden. It's, it's to cultivate it. So I've cleared brush before in my day back in college, and it is exhausting. Like, I straight had a chainsaw. I had everything I needed at the end of the day. I was tired, I was cut up, I was bloody, and I was dirty. So subduing the earth and taming land is a difficult, difficult thing. But that is what God said to do. Fill the earth and subdue it and tame it. Do work. And then the next thing you get is he says, name the animals. Um, It took a day to do that. So he's made on the sixth day, named the animals. And after he named them, there was Eve. Uh, So what you see here, work is part of creation. And that means it's good. Okay, so sometimes work, it feels like the fall of man. It feels like, crap, work happened because everything blew up. No, work happened because God made it, and it is good. The next thing you see is that God models it. Like, God is not up there kicking it on his high chair, watching you mow the grass, telling you what to do. Like, he was in there doing it before Adam even got there. So if it's something God does, that's something we want to do. He sets an example for us to do that. And finally... It is woven into the design of humankind to work. Okay, so when God made everything, it was perfect and it was ordered. This, 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 this. And God set everything up to function absolutely perfectly. So God knew how it was made and God knew what to prescribe. And when that broke, everything fractured and all of a sudden the design was broken. Here's here's an example. Um, When you buy a car, you know to change the oil every two to 3,000 miles. When you don't change the oil, it will blow up. Okay, that happened to me. I don't want to talk about it. I blew up my engine. Still bitter. Anyway, um, so when you don't change the oil, the engine blows up. When we operate outside of God's design, things go poorly. Just like when an engine operates outside its design, it blows up. So by design, we're meant to work. And so when we don't work, bad things happen. Like, Like the depression rate for men who lose their jobs goes down or goes up very quickly when they no longer have a job because by design they're meant to work Um, now this is god's picture of work this is what he created this is what he mandated he did it so balance between work and rest we're going to move into rest uh, god's design for rest we are still in genesis chapter 2 and we're going to be reading 1 through 3 thus the heavens and the earth were finished And all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work so that he from that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Okay, so this happened before the fall of man. That means it is good. Everything that went down before then, God called good. So Rest is good. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when I rest, I do not feel good. I feel lazy. And so it's like this, oh, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. But according to God, it is good. 
Um, it happened and is a part of creation. The second thing is God models it. And this to me is crazy. Okay, so what we know about God is he is self-sustaining, self-sufficient. He does not need anything from anyone. He exists outside of time. Uh, God does not need a nap. God does not sleep. God does not have a bedtime. God sure as heck does not need a day off. But he took a day off, even though he didn't need it. That to me is insane. Like, like how good is God to say, take a day off? Like, you're exhausted, man. It's okay to rest. He didn't have to do that, but God modeled it for us, and that is what we ought to do. And we, ought, we also rest by design. God programmed the human to have rest, and when humans do not have rest, they fall apart. You've probably felt that, or you've probably seen that. I have felt that, and I have seen that, and so we rest by design. Um, the other thing, oops, this is not up there, but God actually commands rest. You know, the big ten, the ten commandments. We know, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, blah, 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 blah. And then God says, by the way, take a Sabbath. I command you to take a day off. So when we do not do that, we're violating God's command. And when we don't line up with God's command, like that's called sin, and someone's got to die for sin. So we don't take days off serious, but God really does. And ultimately, Jesus had to die because we can't rest. That's part of it. That was part of the penalty of sin on the cross. And so God commands it. Now, the question becomes, how do you do this? How do you balance work and how do you balance rest? Um, I want to talk briefly um, about application, like what is the best way to rest? And if you guys will turn to John 15, 4 through 5, it's also on the screen. Check my time here. The primary way for the human to rest is in God. And the scripture would use the term abide or to be with or to, to rest in. Um, so here's what it is. It says, this is Jesus talking. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, when you are running on empty and you are not resting, are you really fruitful? Like, like, does your brain really work at its best capacity as you're trying to take tests? Do you really sleep as good when you don't get as much sleep? Like, when I don't sleep a lot, I tend to sleep less. My daughter's like that, too. It's really weird. Um, but abiding in Christ, it talks about fruit. I think part of that is the, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, we begin to look more and more like Christ when we live next to him, but also you, you get this fruit through productive living, I think, like mankind flourishes in that way. So here's what I would contend to you. You, you may ask, okay, abiding is great. How do I do that? I want you to fill your schedule with things that stir your affection for God, okay? And here, here's an example. There are certain things that we do that make us like God more than other things that we do. And so my wife loves worship music. Like, man, if she's down, she kicks on a good worship song, and it draws her into God. She's cooking. I walk up. Worship music. I'm about to use our Spotify. Worship music. She's driving. Worship music. Like, that draws her to God. It stirs her affection. For me, I mean, I love a good worship song here and there, but it does not do for me what it does for her. So that, to her, stirs her affections. For me, this is really weird, but I love reading Puritan books. 
Okay, those are 17th century books written in Old English from the 1600s by a bunch of dead guys, the guys that started the Protestant Reformation. Like, I love that. It is just intellectually stimulating, and they write about God in a way that is not written about today. Same content worded really differently, but it makes me really, really love God, so it draws me in. Um, so what is it for you that stirs your affections for God? And do that regularly. Now, the next thing I want to talk about... Um, Weekly rest or Sabbath, if you will, like take a day off. So a lot of times what we do is we have this really busy schedule and we try to work our rest into it. What if you worked your busyness around your rest? You picked a day off or an afternoon off or an evening off, whatever it is, and you built your schedule around that. I, think, I would contend that that is the way you're going to make this happen because you don't accidentally rest. You don't stumble into it. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I don't have time for that. Okay, you do. Just cut out time wasters. So you work out six days a week, maybe four days a week, and use those extra couple hours to study. Or you binge watch Netflix for seven hours. You may need to cut that out so you can study, so you can take some time off. And, and some may say, well, binge watching is rest. Like, no, it's not. It's straight laziness. And I will, I'll get backlash from that. Uh, but when you sit down for seven or eight hours straight, disconnecting from life because it's comfortable, that's called lazy, not rest. Don't get me wrong. I love the Queen's Gambit. Like, I love a good episode. But wasting so much time just existing in front of a television is not really restful. So pick a time, find what's restful, um, and do that. Now, identify what is restful to you. Introverts and extroverts, they tend to rest differently. Introverts like to be alone, and it is spilling. Extroverts like to be with people. And it is filling. So what is it for you that brings you rest? I love being with my family. I love watching a good movie on Sunday. I cannot watch three movies. That'll rob me of rest. But one movie with my family makes me feel at ease, at peace. Okay, so I hope you guys are writing this down. You need to do this. It is for your good. Um, so thus far, I've talked about kind of this this exterior action, things that we do, but I want to pivot here. Um, I want to kind of take a step back and turn because I wonder if this grind till you die mentality kind of boils over in your spiritual life. You know, maybe, maybe it's, I got to please God. I got to muster my strength and we wear ourselves out trying to do the right thing. Um, so maybe you're a Christian in here. And you are tired because you are striving to be this perfect version of a Christian. Well, if I stop doing this, I will look better. If I stop doing that, I God will like me more. And you wear yourself out because you probably can't stop doing that. At least it's still a struggle, whatever that is for you. And so you get exhausted trying to white-knuckle your way into behavior. I know that because I've done that. That is a big, big, big pitfall for me. Uh, maybe if you're a Christian and you're in here, you're involved in so much ministry that you work for God, but you're not with God. Okay, you, you do discipleships, you're in church, you're in 402, you're evangelizing, doing all these really, really great things that that is your spiritual life with God. It's not. Working for God and being with God are different things. And as a paid minister of the gospel, this is incredibly difficult for me. But maybe you're tired because you're working, not being with, you're not abiding. Uh, maybe you're a Christian in here, 
and you have worked tirelessly to keep a secret. I will tell you, secrets will choke you out faster than you even know. And they are heavy. They are burdensome. So if you're keeping a secret in here, you know what I mean by fatigue. Just tell somebody. That's the best way to get it off. Bear your burdens with one another. Um, now, this is maybe if you're a Christian. I want to talk about maybe if you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't have this relationship with God. Uh, maybe you feel emotionally and mentally just stripped. You have nothing left. Um, that's very, very real. We don't want to downplay that. That's, that's part of it. Uh, maybe you're a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian and you're trying to like fix yourself. Like if I do enough self-help, I will be free. If I work out hard enough and get six pack, I will be happier. I will find rest if I drink that much or watch this or do that with that person. Maybe you're looking for this type of satisfaction. It's not working. So maybe that's you and you're not a Christian and you're trying to find rest in all the wrong places. Maybe you're tired and you don't even know why. It's just you feel this, ugh, when you wake up, and this, ugh, this drag. And you're clueless as to why, but you recognize it's there. Uh, maybe, and this is the last one, and we'll close. Maybe you're, Christ, or you're not a Christian, and you have this nagging guilt and shame that just follow you. I mean, you wake up, and as soon as you wake up, it's right there, just, just dragging you through the floor. You feel guilty and shameful for that thing you did last night or that thing you did 10 years ago. Or maybe you're carrying around this type of guilt and shame because of something someone did or said back to you. It's out of your control, but you absorb that on you. Like that is very, very real. The question is, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you are spent and you don't know where to turn, like, turn to Jesus. That's... That's part of the gospel. That's part of the cross. And so if you will flip to that next verse, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew, yes, 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is that not what you're after? Rest for your soul? Jesus says, hey, man, I'm the one that gives you rest. I'm the one that will lift the guilt and shame off of you. You see, this is called the gospel. And simply put, the gospel is you are born separated from God by your evil thoughts and actions. And because you are sinful, you deserve death. The penalty of sin is death because God hates sin and he is just and it has got to be paid for. And so we're all kind of born under this sin thing that it will eventually kill us. But God is loving. God does not desire for anyone to perish. And so instead of you dying for everything you've done wrong, Jesus actually died for you. You've heard the term Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Well, that's what's happening. Like there's a way for you to be with God and be made right with God through the death of Jesus on the cross. All the guilt and shame you have, gone. All this, this weariness you have, he takes away. There is room for you, God. If you don't hear anything I say all night, hear this. God loves you, and there is a way to be with him, and you can, you can relieve these burdens from you. That is the gospel message. And so maybe this is the first time you heard it. Maybe this is the 100th time you've heard it. Um, here's, here's what I want you to think about. 
is there a chord in you that has been plucked that is resonating? Okay, you, you, maybe you felt it for the first time. It's this chord that you didn't even know existed, but it is ringing as I'm sharing the gospel. That's called God saving you. That is God inviting you in and drawing you to himself. You've got to do something. And so if that's you, if God has given you this faith to believe, that's a big deal. Like he's saving you. Don't keep that to yourself. After this, after we're done talking and after the worship, like go find someone. Come find me. I'm going to be sitting right over there. I would love, love, love to continue this conversation with you. Because when you get saved, like it, it helps have someone to talk you through it. And so come find me. Come find, if you're part of a small group, go to your small group leader. Uh, go to Megan. Go to um, everyone else on staff. Because it's a big deal. Don't walk out of this room without dealing with that pluck in your heart, without coming to Jesus or, or having that conversation, you can find rest in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Tarleton BSM podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe. To keep up with everything Tarleton BSM, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tarleton BSM. See you next time.